Well, good evening to all. If you are in the evening, we are in the, uh, I guess you could call it the late afternoon on a Thursday. Very hot, uh, muggy days here in Texas this week. We had a little bit of rain earlier, which was great, uh, but also gave us some pretty high humidity. But it is July, it is Texas, and that's just the way it is. If that's not uh, something that you're expecting around here, then you haven't been here for very long, or at least not for very many summers. Uh, we have a lot of, of uh, uh, great and wonderful memories of hot days in Texas and are making more. And uh, this uh, summer is certainly one of the more memorable ones. Not all uh, good memories, uh, but memories nonetheless. And I know that uh, a lot in our communities, in our nation, in our world continue to struggle and have a lot of difficulty with um, uh, this summer and the months preceding. <clears throat> we don't see an end uh, just yet, so we're continuing to trust in the Lord and do the best we can. And this is when faith is really faith. I was talking with someone today and we were talking about that, how, how difficult these times are and it it kind of makes me think that uh, maybe, Bill, you weren't living by faith all that much before. You were living more by sight because things were going so well. <coughs> but um, uh, good or bad, that's just the way that goes. It's good to see uh, some folks signing on, uh, viewing live, and we'll have more of you uh, later as we uh, record this and have it under our archives on our westerwin.com page and our social media link and also... Uh, on my Facebook page and on our West Irwin Church of Christ page. <clears throat> so it's good to see my dear friend and sister Debbie Spears here, and welcome, welcome. I'm sure you rolled right up. And um, Larry and Lynn, wonderful to see you, and Cindy and Eric. Y'all have been so supportive through all of this. Uh, my cousin Gail, great to see you. I've been thinking about you and Keith and your family um, a lot, and uh, pray God's blessing upon, upon all of you. Lenny and Joe uh, Allard are here. Uh, they have been with us. Uh, it seems like every step of all of our lives, and we love your family so, so much. Uh, just very blessed to be a part of that family, even though um, it's not by blood. We feel very much a kinship with you all. <clears throat> so, um, as we talked about uh, this uh, little lesson today, looking uh, ahead an hour or two ago, I put a little note on that talked about how uh, we have a lot of tension and conflict in our world today, in our communities in our nation, and, um, and that is certainly true. And some of it has to do with racial things, some of it has to do with political things. Uh, some of it, someone told me the other day, which I thought was an excellent comment, that you know, with the um, uh, novel coronavirus and the difficulties that that has brought, uh, there's just not a lot of room in the emotional tank for much of anything else, and now here we are in a very divisive uh, political time. Uh, uh, a very uh, divisive uh, conflict time when uh, racial tensions and inequalities and difficulties are at uh, a heightened level. Um, and the only comfort I can give us, other than God will see us through, is that we're not the first uh, generation that's had to face uh, times like this. And we see that in Scripture in a lot of different places, but we uh, see it certainly in the pages of the New Testament, in the first century church. That, that was a, a time of great conflict. As you know, the church and Christians were persecuted in a, in a, in a much more physical uh, way 
than what we in this country have experienced. Others around the world have experienced that and are experiencing it right now, fearing for their lives and the lives of their loved ones because of their faith in Christ. Uh, Jesus said that that could happen, and, uh, and we understand that cognitively, but when, when we see it on an emotional level and we see it in a personal level, it's, um, it's a lot more intense. So we pray uh, for our leaders, just as I shared some things around Independence Day a week or so ago. We uh, share uh, prayers for our nation and for our nation's leaders and for the leaders around the world, for leaders in our own communities and states. Uh, we just ask for God's will to be done. That's the prayer I've been praying a lot lately. And we ask for God's presence uh, to be with us, whatever uh, that will is and whatever uh, the future uh, might hold. And so as we think about conflict and tension, even racial conflict, uh, it's interesting that the conflicts in the first century church were very much right along those lines. Um, how did we get here to Acts 15? Well, let's uh, kind of talk about that for a moment. Um, of course, the church begins in Acts chapter 2. Jesus ascends in Acts chapter 1, gives the church his marching orders even before the church is established. And he tells us to be his witnesses in our local area and the surrounding regions and to the end of the earth. Um, and then in Acts chapter 2, the, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit is given, the church begins with a bang, 3,000 are baptized that first day, and the church is off and running. Um, and in Acts chapters 3 and 4 and 5, we read about the, the threats uh, on the uh, church and on its leaders, the apostles, that uh, they are not to preach in the name of Christ or else they will be punished and and they respond by saying, hey, you know, there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved except for Jesus Christ. Uh, this past Sunday, as we talked about holiness in this summer series I'm doing at our church, West Irwin Church of Christ, here in Tyler, I'm doing a series on the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you've never heard a series on the Lord's Prayer. That one's uh, kind of difficult for some of us because of the line that I'm going to actually be talking about this Sunday. Sorry about the commercial. Um, but we think about that, uh, thy kingdom come, and the kingdom being the church. And I think the church was established in Acts chapter 2, around 30 of the common era. But we also see the church uh, continuing to come and be established in the hearts of people whenever someone uh, turns to the Lord or becomes closer to the Lord. And we pray for that to happen in our lives and in the lives of the people that God sends to us. Um, so in that sense, it's a very, very good prayer and a, and a very relevant prayer for us today. One of the things I'll say this Sunday is that in this difficult, difficult time, it's a great opportunity for us to share about the Lord, to share about his word and his peace, and to share uh, about our church. And so I hope that you will take advantage of this time uh, to do that. So in the first century, there was a very difficult time, and yet the church grew and grew and grew in spite of the threats and in spite of the persecution. And then we come to Acts chapter 6. That first big church conflict has racial uh, overtones to it. There were some widows. They're all Jews still, uh, but there were some widows who were from some of the uh, areas outside of Palestine, and they... Uh, they were being neglected, and so the church uh, was up in arms about it. And the, the Jews that were from uh, the area surrounding Jerusalem, where they still were, uh, were being tended to, but others were not. They had come 
for the Passover and stayed for Pentecost. And then when the church began, they continued to stay. And, uh, and they were, some of their widows were being neglected in that great uh, passage that speaks about uh, a, a wonderful collaborative solution was found, not uh, pointing to the apostles and the elders and saying, you guys take care of this and do it, but rather they turned it back on the church as they should have done, as we should do today, and say, look, we, we have our ministry. We are leaders. Uh, there's a ministry of the word. There's a ministry of prayer and of leading God's people. And, um, and there's, there are others in the church that can do this, and they, they chose those seven men who were very spiritual men and, um, and, and were able to find that solution without uh, destroying the ministry of the, of the leaders, the apostles and elders. And so we see that great, those two great men, Stephen and Philip. Uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, his great sermon, powerful sermon uh, recorded in Acts chapter 7 and then his death. And in Acts chapter 8, the beginning of, of the real serious persecution led by Saul of Tarsus, and then, and, and so the disciples are scattered. They go, they go uh, uh, everywhere preaching the word, it says. And uh, another one of those seven men, Philip, was sent to the area of Samaria, uh, just north of the area of Judea, where Jerusalem and Bethlehem were, and, uh, and converts many of the Samaritans. And, and Christians continue to spread. Um, in Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus has that Damascus Road experience and then goes into the city and Ananias, this Christian man, comes to him and tells him, uh, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And Saul of Tarsus moves from being the chief persecutor of the church to one of its leading preachers. And, um, and then, as we know, uh, James, uh, a great apostle, uh, very close to uh, the Lord, is uh, called upon to um, be the first apostle killed for the faith in Acts chapter 12. Um, but before we get there, in Acts chapter 10, there is an incident that has much to do with what we're talking about today, as Peter is led by God to go to Cornelius. And as he does, um, realizing Cornelius is a Gentile, he sees the hand of God in all of this, and Cornelius has had a vision as well. Uh, sending for Peter, and Peter and, and his group uh, uh, from Jerusalem go up to Caesarea, and they uh, teach uh, Cornelius and his household, and the Spirit comes on them just as they had come on, as he had come on the apostles at the beginning, signifying that this is from God, that it is time to fulfill God's mission, which was not just to Jews, but to non-Jews as well. Uh, in spite of all the prophecies of the being a light to the Gentiles, um, in spite of some of the words and actions by Jesus and his ministry, they just didn't get it until now. And now they did. And so Cornelius and his family are baptized in Acts 10 and Acts 11. Peter has to go back to Jerusalem and explain what and why he did those things. Um, and that leads us to uh, uh, chapters 13 and 14 and this mission journey that Paul and Barnabas uh, go on and uh, go to the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia and and preached and yet are rejected by some after that second Sabbath. And, and so they go out to the Gentiles, and that becomes a pattern uh, for Paul and for Barnabas, and then later for Paul and Silas and Timothy on the second and third mission journeys. And so everything is going great, and the church at Antioch of Syria has sent them out, and they come back, and they have that big mission Sunday, and they hear about all these things that we talked about in the last lesson on Tuesday. And 
uh, everything is going great um, until um, until Acts 15. And this is where we we have this big conflict. And so for just a moment before we start reading through Acts 15 and talk about dealing with conflict, what how, how do you feel about conflict? Are you one of those uh, that says, let's try to avoid it at all costs? I tend to be there. Um, are you one of those that says, oh, I love conflict. It's my favorite thing. I'll stir it up. Man, I'm a pot stirrer. Um, do you like compromise? Uh, do you search for a collaborative uh, solution when there's so much at stake that you uh, that compromise doesn't even seem uh, appropriate? Well, we're going to be talking about that today, and we'll use that that uh, chart that Randy Lowry, Dr. Randy Lowry, the president of Lipscomb University in Nashville, has used in years for years in dealing with conflict management and mediation. He was one of the first. Uh, to really um, push that and has has brought so much uh, to my life and my ministry because of that and we'll we'll get there in just a just a few moments but first let's let's set the stage and let's see this setting uh, in Acts chapter uh, 15 so here we go we have some others that are that are uh, joining us Norma nice to see you and great to see you uh, of course Jerry and Beverly are here uh, Betty and Larry Mills wonderful friends uh, of ours from Arlington days and uh, just such a, a great blessing for me to think about all of these that have meant so much and to think about the ones that mean so much that are right here as a part of our West Irwin family. Conflict. How do you deal with it? How should we deal with it as a church, uh, as a nation? Because it's not a question of, well, let's try to not go through it. Let's, let's pray that we never have conflict. Um, scripture talks about this great growing church and yet it seems like there was a lot of conflict that the church had to work through, but it did. Uh, it did, and how did that happen? Well, that's, that kind of brings us to Acts 15. So here we go. Uh, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Antioch of Syria, north, uh, on the northeastern uh, part, uh, off the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, but to the northeast of that, um, there was a, um, that was a great contemporary church. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch uh, in uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 26. But then they hear about all these things. They hear about the, the church reaching out to Gentiles, non-Jews, and and they hear that they're not really requiring them to follow the law of Moses and requiring the men to become circumcised, in other words, to become Jews. And that troubles them in Jerusalem, and so they send some men up there, but uh, as we'll see, that wasn't quite um, authorized. It wasn't a trip that was authorized. We don't know who these men were, but we call them Judaizers. Paul refers to them as Judaizers in the book of Galatians that deals with this topic as well on a more extensive uh, level. Um, and so we see that they, they went from the high country of Jerusalem uh, down to Antioch to the north uh, and, um, and told them, look, you've got you've to start circumcising these men. You've got to tell these people who are being baptized that don't come from a Jewish background that they need to follow the law of Moses. Well, as you can figure, that's not going to sit very well with the Apostle Paul. Uh, verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them there in Antioch. Uh, so Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. They were going to go to Jerusalem and they were going to say, hey, let's, 
let's, let's talk about this, which is the right thing to do. The church sent them on their way, verse 3, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, the areas between Antioch of Syria to the north and Jerusalem to the south, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad, not so much some of the Jewish believers, but everybody else, yes. <clears throat> when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. So everything was going great. Uh, until verse 5. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, we've heard of them before, right? They were the ones that stirred up one of the, the uh, sect of the Jews that stirred up a lot of the trouble for Jesus, along with some of the other groups. Um, they stood up. These are Christians now. These are Christians, but they're converts from Judaism, and they had been Pharisees while Jews. And they're still Jews. I mean, that's their culture. That's their ethnic background. They're descendants of Abraham. Uh, they're following the law of Moses, but they've also become Christian. And it's beyond them right now to think that 2,000 years of history going back to Abraham, uh, 1,500 years of history going back to Moses and the law would just be done away with. Uh, they can't imagine it. And it's, it's hard to think about that. Well, uh, circumcision has been around since Abraham in 2000 B.C., and now here we are. And they're saying, look, we, we're not giving up on that. Then some of the believers, again, verse 5 of Acts 15, who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. And that is the issue. That is the conflict uh, that we're going to see. And then in verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. Um, and so there's, there's a, a lot about conflict, uh, negotiation, and management, and uh, resolution in this chapter, and in other places as well, such as in Acts chapter 6. Uh, some of the earliest teaching I had through ACU, through Abilene Christian University, and, and some of the great uh, classes I took under Charles Seibert, and we had Randy Lowry there some. This was back in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, in my doctor of ministry program and some of my gra other graduate work, um, they, they talked about managing conflict and they talked about uh, going below the line. You have, you have a, an issue up here and in that issue there are maybe two different positions that people take. For example, in this case the issue is the, the Law of Moses. Are they supposed to follow the Law of Moses? And so you have two positions. You have some of those uh, Christians who were from the the uh, Pharisees of the Jews uh, saying they need to follow the law of Moses and including circumcision. And then you had Paul and Barnabas and some others saying, no, 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 that's not required anymore. God, God didn't specify that. He poured out his spirit on the Gentiles in, in the days of Cornelius and Peter, as we're going to see them bring up. Um, and so those are, that's the positions, and you have the issue, but they talk about going below the line. You have the, the issue up here, and then you have different ones with positions. Well, you go down a little bit further, and you ask yourself, what's driving that position? Why is this issue so important to you? And it's very helpful to do that. It's very helpful to go below that line and not just look at the specific um, uh, uh, issue that they're discussing, but to ask yourself, why, why is this so important? Why is this position so important to you? What's driving this? 
And I think that's kind of what they do here in Acts 15 to some extent. Uh, but as we'll see, that this is an issue that isn't settled. They have they come to a conclusion here, but it's it is on every page in the rest of the New Testament. I mean, there are so much there's so much written about um, the the difficulties that Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians are having and how to manage that in a church like Rome, in a church like Ephesus, in the Galatian churches in modern day. Turkey, where Paul and Barnabas likely made a lot of stops on their first mission journey. Um, that's, there's a lot of discussion about that in the rest of the New Testament, but it really has its beginning uh, here in this conference in Jerusalem. And it could be that Paul refers to this same event in Galatians chapter 2. Some have suggested that that's a different meeting. Um, I don't know the answer to that. They seem awfully similar not to be talking about the same thing. But I do know that this was an issue and a question that, that didn't go away. And they kept on uh, considering this and searching for this. And so what is below the line? What is driving this? And it could be this uh, long history that the Jews had uh, with going back to Abraham in 2000 BC when circumcision was first uh, uh, given to them as the sign of the covenant. It may go back 1,500 years to the law of Moses. But, it, but throughout that time, there has been a lot of conflict between the Jews and the non-Jews. And I think part, that's part of what's driving it as well. As we talk about our racial history and the difficulties that we're having in our country and in our communities today, you ask yourself, what is, what is driving this? I mean, why is this such a, a huge issue for people on all sides? And, and that's, a, that's a hard question, and it's likely not, not the same answer for everybody. Uh, but in our country, of course, it goes back uh, uh, almost our, well, it certainly goes back throughout our whole history as you talk about the difficulties that um, the different races have had. And um, even a Supreme Court decision today uh, about uh, Eastern, a lot of Eastern Oklahoma and how how the uh, Native Americans um, had that land and, and the difficulties that that has brought. And now who has jurisdiction and how do you settle court cases and, and things like that? Well, that's very relevant even to today. And of course, the racial problems that we're having that date back to the earliest times of, of uh, settlement here in this country and uh, the times of slavery and the Civil War and the difficulties that um, that those things have have brought about and and to uh, racial in, in inequality uh, throughout the years and we see great progress that's been made amazing progress really uh, when you consider even an African American president was elected and reelected um, in this country just uh, recently in the years past. Uh, but that's not to say that there's not still a lot of difficulty there, that there's not um, people that still hold great uh, prejudice in their hearts and, and people that uh, are the victims of that, um, of that prejudice and discrimination. So there's, there's great progress that's been made. I think we need to acknowledge that. There's, there's still work to do, and we need to acknowledge that uh, as well. Those are some of the things that are below the line uh, for us. Uh, in, in our situation. But I want to show you again this graph. I think I shared it with you a little bit 
when we were in Acts chapter 6, and uh, I'm not sure the best way to go about doing this, hopefully so that you can see it. Um, uh, that's uh, pretty good, I guess. Um, you see the, the vertical axis uh, being uh, the issue and the horizontal axis at the bottom uh, being the relationship. And when you have a conflict, and again, this is from Randy Lowry, when you have a conflict, I think a lot of times that's what it is. There's an issue uh, that you're kind of squabbling over. And, and I think I'm back. Sorry about that. Uh, my technological prowess is not very good. And on, in times like that, when everything just kind of goes to pot, I scramble around and try to figure it out. And that's kind of what I'm doing right now. Hopefully, you're able to stay with me. I lost a few of you, I'm sure, and I apologize for that. But we are back, and we are back live, uh, looking at Acts chapter 15, looking at this whole story about uh, conflict and the conflict that was going on in the first century church. Uh, there, uh, as the Gentiles were beginning to come in, now you have uh, more and more uh, conflict because the, the Jews or Jewish Christians are trying to figure out how to do that. And as we have seen in the first several verses of Acts chapter 15, there are difficulties. Uh, Paul and Barnabas have been on a mission journey, have converted a lot of Gentiles, but not asked them to be circumcised or keep the law. And now there are some from Jerusalem that went uh, down to Antioch and said, you guys need to straighten up and start teaching the law of Moses. Uh, Paul and Barnabas didn't like that, so they said, hey, let's go to Jerusalem and let's talk to the apostles and the elders and let's meet about this. And that's what they have done. Uh, I shared a little bit at that time about when things went south, about this uh, conflict management chart uh, with accommodate at the lower right where the relationship is important and the issue is not. So you accommodate, you give in. Um, collaborate is a wonderful um, uh, uh, decision there in the top right. Compromises in the middle where not everybody gets everything they want, but they get enough to manage. But in the upper left, that whole idea of compete and confront, that's the one where the issue is a 10, it's all important, uh, and the relationship may or may not be important, but it's not nearly as important as the issue, and you've got to stand, and you've got to fight. And that's where Paul and Barnabas are uh, right now. That's where they are with this issue about um, the Gentile Christians, the new converts being asked to follow the law of Moses. And so that's where, that's where we are. Uh, this is an issue that what Paul is going to de decide is all important, and he's not going to budge on it. Uh, in Galatians 2, uh, he talks about taking uh, Titus with him uh, to Jerusalem to demonstrate that, hey, circumcision is not essential. Here you have a great uh, Christian man, disciple, uh, minister, missionary, and he's not, uh, he's not circumcised, and that's okay. Um, later on, as we're going to see next week on Tuesday, uh, he'll have Timothy circumcised so that he can uh, accommodate the Jews that they'll be working with. And we'll talk about how that fits in with all of this. Um, so a lot going on here. Uh, the issue is all important. It's the gospel. And Paul wants to make sure that they realize that there has to be a separation between what is the real gospel and what is the response of faith and what is not. And so that's where, we, that's where we are, and we're going to just keep going on in, um, in Acts 15, and now we'll start getting into the heart of the discussion, and we'll, uh, we'll start in verse 7. Uh, I know uh, I was out for a little bit there, 
I apologize for that. Not sure what happened, but my Facebook feed just went totally bonkers. I didn't touch a thing and it went away. Everything else was working, but I had trouble getting back on Facebook. And that's all I'm going to say about that, as Forrest Gump would say. Okay, Acts 15. The apostles and elders met to consider this question, verse 6. Now, verse 7, after much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. The great thing about this is that people are just going to tell the story. They're going to tell the story of what they know and what's happened and how they saw God's hand in it. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And that's what we read about in Acts chapter 10, how Peter himself saw that God is no respecter of persons but accepts anyone from anywhere whose heart is given over to him. Acts 15 verse 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither, neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So Peter's argument is this. He says, look, you guys know what happened to me when I had this vision. I went to see Cornelius. The Holy Spirit was given to them just as he was given to us at the very beginning. And how could we, how could we deny them? In fact, that's one of the things he said in Acts 10. Can anyone uh, forbid that these people be baptized be, who have received the Holy Spirit just like we have? Um, and so he continues on here, and he says, not only was the Holy Spirit given, but you're talking about binding a law on them that we haven't been able to bear, our ancestors haven't been able to bear. Why would you do that? And that's exactly Paul's argument in the first three chapters of Romans. Uh, as he announces the Gentiles are under sin and condemnation, the Jews had the law, but they didn't keep it. They are also condemned. And in, in Romans 3, all have sinned and come short of God's glory, and so all our recipients can be recipients of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Peter tells them that story, and then we're going to go to Peter, from Peter, as he recounts what happened in Acts 10 and 11, to Paul and Barnabas, and what has happened with them there in Antioch of Syria, uh, as the, they began reaching out to non-Jews, to Gentiles, and and God did some fabulous things there in Antioch. And then the church at Antioch sending Paul and Barnabas out. Okay, we're back again. This is part three <laughs> of the lesson in Acts 15. It will also be the last part uh, because if my live video shuts down again, then I'm going to punt and we'll just take up this cause uh, on uh, next Tuesday. So for now, I'm going to go ahead with part three if that's okay. I apologize to all of you that have uh, kind of seen this pause and come in and out. Uh, we'll see how well we can do this and uh, see if we can finish up at least the majority of this lesson uh, from Acts chapter 15. Uh, we've seen the, the difficult uh, conflict between the Jewish and Gentile Christians, whether you have to keep the law of Moses or not. Uh, they've met in Jerusalem to discuss this. Uh, Peter has told his story of uh, his, incident, his uh, experience with Cornelius, our Acts 10 and 11. Paul and Barnabas have told their stories of the church at Antioch of Syria in Acts 11, and then their mission journey in Acts 13 and 14. And so now we're going to see uh, James, the half-brother of the Lord, 
uh, kind of take over. And this is where we're going to read about the solution, uh, the compromise that they reach. Uh, and so Acts 15, verse 13, when they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described, Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things from long ago. Verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from, uh, from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. That's James's suggestion. It's a compromise. Uh, because as we see these four things, we see a lot, some things that are going to continue, like sexual immorality, that will always be forbidden. Throughout the rest of the New Testament, sexual immorality is forbidden. It is a sin, and there's no question about that. But some of these other things, well, when you read Romans chapters 13 and 14 and 15, when you look at uh, some of those sections of Colossians, uh, Ephesians, where it talks about uh, the understanding between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and is it okay to eat meat that's been offered to an idol or not? Uh, Paul in Romans makes it pretty clear that really that's a matter of conscience. At this point, not so. And we're less than 20 years into the church. Uh, it's only been about 10 years since the Gentiles had been brought into the church. And so now we're having this conflict, we're having this discussion, and they're trying to figure out what to do about it. And what happens is James suggests a compromise. He doesn't say, look, this stuff shouldn't matter. Forget it. You guys are wrong. We're going to go forward. But rather he says, look, because the law of Moses is read to Jews every Sabbath, because this is something that is a part of our history, perhaps he could have said, uh, we need to respect that at this, at this stage. And so let's what he does is he suggests some things, obviously, that are wrong, sexual immorality, and the pagans really didn't care that much about morality uh, regarding sex, um, unfortunately, much like our culture today. Uh, but then he also talks about some things that maybe had to play uh, more in pagan worship, as he talks about food that's been offered to an idol in worship and then is sold in the marketplace. And um, the question becomes, well, can a... Can a good Jew, can a good Christian buy that meat and eat it? Uh, and that's the discussion in Romans chapters 14 and 15 especially, where Paul says, look, we know that an idol is nothing. It doesn't matter. But if your brother or sister is offended by it, then you shouldn't do it. And if you can't do it in good conscience, then don't do it. Well, that's kind of where James is coming from here. As he talks about these four things, food polluted by idols, immorality, the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Those things were things that the Jews would find um, uh, just unacceptable. Uh, it, it, it was abhorrent to them. And so what James says is, out of deference to the Jews and to the Jewish Christians and to Jews who possibly could be reached with the gospel, let's, let's be considerate 
and let's give a little. But the other side gives as well because there's no call here for the men to be circumcised. There's no call here for Gentile Christians newly converted to the church to keep the law of Moses. That's not what we see. And so the result and the reaction uh, in verse 22 of Acts 15, then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, who will become Paul's new mission partner in chapter 16, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. And so here's the letter that they're sending with these men. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. So it's going to be for all those regions. Greetings, verse 24. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said, calling on them to observe the law of Moses uh, and not just the gospel. Verse 25. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's true. They've been persecuted in that first journey. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. Judas and Silas from the church at Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas had come up there uh, from the church at Antioch. Verse 28, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So that's the letter that they send, and they send it with Paul and Barnabas and the ones who had come to Jerusalem from Antioch, and they also send it with a few from Jerusalem so that they can say, yeah, this is, this is, this is how the meeting went. This is what the apostles and elders decided. This is what the Holy Spirit has led us to do to call on them to observe these four things. But as far as circumcision, as far as keeping the Sabbath, as far as all the rest of the law of Moses, they don't have to do that. Uh, what we're going to see as, as we read through the rest of the New Testament is there are some specific commandments that people are to follow today. And we understand that. For example, sexual immorality is one of those. Uh, that is condemned as sin uh, throughout the New Testament. Uh, whether you're talking about homosexual relationships, whether you're talking about adultery where someone is married to someone else, uh, whether you're talking about sexual activity uh, before marriage, all of those things are condemned by this term sexual immorality. And we see more specifics laid out and mentioned in lists such as Galatians 5, uh, 19 through 21 and 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 9 and 10 and, and other passages. Uh, but some of these other things, as I said, uh, this not eating meat offered to an idol, for example, was something that became a matter of conscience and was something that after the Jews and the Gentiles had learned to get along a little bit better, perhaps, uh, was not something that was forced upon the Gentile believers. Uh, there were still problems with that. And that's why Paul writes what he writes to the church at Rome in Romans 13 and 14 and 15. Again, this is an issue that did not go away. This letter, this decision led by James, the brother of the Lord, was a great step, a great step. It helped the Gentile Christians understand, hey, we don't have to keep the whole law of Moses and circumcision and all the rest of it. That's great. But it also called on them to be considerate of others. 
And that's what, um, that's what uh, uh, James and the apostles and the elders decide. And so verse 30 of Acts 15, So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch of Syria from Jerusalem after the meeting with this letter. They're accompanied by Judas and Silas there from Jerusalem. Uh, and then uh, perhaps some others. And there is a, a textual variant in verse 34, which says Silas stayed back. And I think, you know, one of the principles about trying to figure out if a verse really should go there or not, one of the issues is, well, would it be easier for it to be in there or harder? Because if it's harder to be in there, then it's got more credibility. Because you're not going to write something in <laughs> to try to explain your case that's going to make your case more difficult. And so that's not the only rule of deciding that, but that's one of them. And so that verse that's uh, added in in verse 34 is, is very much likely added in. It's one of those uh, verses that, that tends to try to explain, okay, you don't say that Silas stayed back, and yet we find later on in chapter 15 that he's still there. Well, that's not an insurmountable problem. It's okay. You just assume that as well as uh, 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 Paul and Barnabas that Silas uh, stayed there in Antioch as well, and we'll see how important that becomes. Uh, that's a very brief uh, caveat on uh, textual variance and trying to figure out what was in uh, Luke's original uh, uh, autograph, as we call it, when he originally wrote the book of Acts, um, but maybe that helps a little bit. Uh, Paul and Barnabas, and as we know, Silas, remained in Antioch, verse 35, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. Well, I think before my video feed goes south again, I'm probably going to stop there. But what we'll do on Tuesday is that we're going to start in Acts 15, verse 36, because in Acts chapter 15, there are two big conflicts in the church. One is the one that we've discussed, whether these new Gentile converts are going to be required to keep the law of Moses or not, including circumcision. And then the second one is a personal conflict. And it's between these two best friends and missionary partners, Paul and Barnabas. They have such a great history, and yet Satan tries to split them up. You see, whether you're talking about what happened with the widows in Acts 6, or what happened with the Christians in uh, the first part of chapter 15, and the church had to meet together and decide what's the Spirit calling us to do here, or this, this division between, this conflict between Paul and Barnabas, um, that... Satan uses to try to sabotage their mission journeys. We see this as the work of Satan just as much today as he tries to divide families. He tries to divide communities. Uh, he tries to divide nations like ours, like he's trying to do right now. And he tries to divide the church. And he does his work really well, but the Holy Spirit does his work better. And just as they found a solution and a compromise in Acts 15 and, and the church went on and there was great joy uh, in, a, in a moment when Satan thought he was going to try to use this to disrupt and divide, uh, we find that, that that turned out not to be the case. It was the same in Acts 6 when the widows were being neglected and it will be the same in these last verses that we'll look at on Tuesday 
with this conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, because what's going to happen is they split up. It's true. Paul and Barnabas split up. But what's not true is that there's no mission work that's done. In fact, just the opposite, as we'll see. Again, I apologize for the, uh, the video difficulties. I, I hope that you'll be willing to listen to all three parts of today's lesson, and I'll try to mark those on the title and, uh, and see how all of that works out. And so hopefully on Tuesday, my, my Facebook video feed will be okay. Again, I don't know what the problem was. I haven't had that trouble before, but it just stopped working. And so now it is working, and, um, and now we're, we're about out of time. Uh, so we'll look at some more of that and, uh, again, be reminded of, of this issue and how it affects um, the church in the coming decades. Again, it's only been around for about 20 years. This is around uh, 50 of the common era. The church has only been going for 19 or 20 years uh, at this time. But then we'll see that this, this, this discussion continues. And it's one that Paul faces time and again. And it's one that brings about a lot of persecution. And it's one that he faces head on and uh, speaks to in the book uh, of Galatians. One that even he and the Apostle Peter are at odds about as we read uh, in Galatians 2 where Paul has to confront him because of the way he's acting towards those who are of a different race, towards those who are Gentile Christians. Uh, a very sad thing. We'll try to speak to some of that as we kind of put these two lessons from Acts 15 together. And then we'll hear the Macedonian call. We have heard the Macedonian call. Too. We're going to hear that when it was first given at the beginning of Acts 16. And we'll do that on Tuesday. I hope you have a great weekend. I hope you're staying safe. And I hope you're continuing to live faithfully before the Lord uh, in these troubled and difficult times. Uh, God bless.